Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Today I want to talk about the value of family. The value of family. And the value is this, is family, we follow Jesus together. We follow Jesus together. That is the thing that brings us all together. There's all this talk about unity. There's all this talk about peace and all this kind of thing. I love all that. That's great. But the reality is, is you can't have peace unless the Prince of Peace is ruling your life. I mean, that is the reality. And you can't have unity if you're not coming together for a specific reason. And the thing that unifies everybody in this church is not because that we're the same skin color. It's not because we vote on the same side of the ballot. The thing that unifies us is that we follow Jesus together. That's what makes us family, is we follow Jesus together. So can you say that with me today? We value family. We follow Jesus together together. So it's real easy. So we value presence every time we gather, everywhere we go, and we value family. We follow Jesus together. And last week we talked about the garden. Now I want to go back to the garden, the Garden of Eden, back to the beginning where God establishes this thing called family. God establishes family in the garden. We think Adam and Eve. What is Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve is family. So here it is, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden. Again, God planted Adam there. We talked about that last week. For what reason? To tend and watch over the garden. So God built the garden, and he said, guess what? I want you to take care of it. So God, it's God's church. Overflow is God's church. But guess what? He put you here to tend and watch it, to cultivate it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely, Freely eat of every fruit and every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat it, you will surely die. So God immediately gives him a warning about what he's got his hand on. Come on. You need to, you need to watch it carefully because someone's going to try to come in and subvert your authority, Adam. Then the Lord God said this. It's not good that man's alone. Now, this is the first time that God identifies something as not good. I mean, at the end of every day, it's good. Heavens of the earth, it's good. It's good. And then he looks at man alone in the garden, watching out for what he can and can't eat, cultivating the ground. And he says, you know what's not good? It's not good that man's alone. Did you know that when, when you're lonely, when you feel isolated, you say, well, that's my personality. I don't like people, whatever. Did you know that's not good? It's not good that you're alone. And I would say this, that loneliness is one of the worst human experiences. Because I, I believe this. I believe that you can overcome anything in your life as long as you're not alone. But if you feel like you're alone, you feel hopeless. But you can always draw from the hope of somebody else in the room. Come on. Come on. There's nothing like having a shoulder to cry on. So, so the Lord saw that it wasn't good that man was alone. So he said this, I'm going to make a helper for him. He can't cultivate the ground alone. He can't guard the garden alone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a helper. I'm going to create somebody for him to help him accomplish my purposes on the earth. Come on. It wasn't just... 
It wasn't just God's plan for Adam's life. Come on, it was God's purposes through Adam. And he said, it's not good that he's alone. There's no way he can do it by himself. So I'm going to create a helper for him. And so God creates, we know, Eve, helper who is right for him. And how many of you know that the, that the mandate on Adam and Eve wasn't just to tend things, but to subdue the earth? And how does that happen? Through their offspring, through family. So to tend the garden, to eat the right fruit, so a partner to fulfill God's purposes on the earth. Why did God put family together to accomplish his purposes on the earth? This is why it's important for you to have kids and to raise your kids in the Lord because God wants to expand his government on the earth. Now, it doesn't just happen because they have a physical birth. Come on, they got to have a spiritual birth. That's, more, that's a thing that separates Christianity. You're not a good Christian because your parents are a good Christian. They may influence you. You're a Christian because you follow Jesus. We follow him together. That's what brings you into this greater family. So he puts them together for marriage, but also to reproduce. See, the creation of family brings dominion on the earth. It's the mandate from the beginning. Understand this. Listen, every issue in America, you know where it's solved? It's not solved in the White House. It's solved in your house. That's where the problems are solved. The breakdown in America is because of the breakdown in the family. That's where it's at. And it's a breakdown in the church. It's a breakdown in God's family. See, I take responsibility. I don't just point at the issues in America. I take responsibility because as a member of the kingdom, I have authority over this stuff. And it goes way beyond a vote. And it goes way beyond a candidate. It goes beyond my, it's in my responsibility. So what am I going to do? See, in human history, government has always been established in a variety of ways, right? How has government been established? Through wars, right? Through force or through wealth, right? This is how government historically has been established on the earth. But guess how God's government is set up? Through family. See, kingdom government is expanded through the reproduction of family. Now, we're not talking about physical things. Come on, you're with me. But we have offspring. This is what Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Offspring. It's offspring in the beginning. The first mandate, Jesus renews the mandate. So King Jesus, what does he do when he comes on the earth 2,000 years ago? What is his agenda? Is it to come and rule like they thought he was going to rule? Not like they thought he was going to rule. No, no, no. Jesus comes in and reestablishes family. This is what he does. This is what he does. Check it out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. You okay? So as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. Now his blood, right? (laughs) Come on, Mary's kids. Joseph's kids, right? I mean, Jesus is Mary's kid, you know, kind of. How all that works. Half siblings, yeah. So as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. Hey, we know he's in there. We need to talk to him. And someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples. He points to his disciples, those that are 
following him, those that are following Jesus together, he points at them and says, look, these are my brothers. My mother and my brothers are in the room with me right now. You think they're outside, they're inside. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. They are family. What is the credential for family? Doing the will of God. So what is, what is the will of God? Jesus tells us what the will of God is. John chapter 28, the crowds are asking him, Jesus, what is the work God requires? What's God's will? What does he want to do? And Jesus answered, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. How, how does supernatural birth happen? By believing in the one that God has sent. What does God require of me? To believe in the one he has sent. To follow the one he has sent. How do I become a part of the family of God? I follow Jesus. So we follow Jesus together. This is what makes us family. John 1, 12. But to all who believe in him and all who receive him, accepted him, he gave them the right. That word is exousia in the Greek. That is governmental authority. Check it out. But all who believed in him, all who accepted King Jesus, he gives them governmental authority to become the children of God. Everybody's not a child of God. You've got to be born into it. You've got to believe and receive Jesus. You've got to believe and receive Jesus to be part of the family of God. And once you're in the family of God, you have God's authority on your life to reestablish those things that Jesus came to reestablish, family on the earth, and you govern it. We're family. It's a good word. So, in 2010, Leslie and I have our family. We have our two kids. We're serving. Been at the same church for 11 years. I'm exhausted. I'm wore out. I'm still burning for Jesus. And we're still shaking the city. We're still doing all of our, you know, hardcore ministry. I mean, it was, it was, it was jamming, but I was exhausted because I felt like I was on a treadmill. Like, I felt like I was doing stuff, but I wasn't going anywhere. And so I didn't realize it at the time really what it was. So we, this, we're just wore out. And I'm not, I'm not behaving very well. Come on. Anybody ever get there when you get tired and wore out? You're, you're not your best. I wasn't the best husband. Certainly wasn't the best dad. Wasn't the best minister. Wasn't the best son. Come on. Wasn't, wasn't doing too well. I was, I was burning. I was going hard, but I wasn't doing so well. And these issues were creeping into our marriage. And we were, we were hurting, man. And we decided to be honest about our issues in a culture that we thought was family that wasn't. And it ends up costing us our job. I ended up working nights at Super Target so I didn't have to see anybody because I was embarrassed. And we, were, we went through the most difficult season of our marriage, but God. <laughs> and so we talked to Leslie's family, her parents, they really helped us. We ended up relocating to a new city 
to a new church, to a new assignment. We thought we'll be here for a while. We knew that God had called us to pastor. Never thought God had called us to plant. No way, not a chance. We said, hey, we just, we just want to go somewhere and we want to serve for a little while and get healthy. And so we go and we get involved in this church, this incredible church in Amarillo, Texas, the panhandle. I mean, we cannot get out of West Texas. We're like El Paso to Amarillo. And we're there. And for the first time, this couple reaches out to us. They were actually serving in the position that we took. Incredible people. And they just reached out. They said, y'all should, we have kids the same age. Y'all should come over to our house and hang out. And we were like, well, we've never had friends before. We had all of the kids in our ministry. Some of them are here today. We had people that we were ministering to, but we didn't have any family. We had sons and daughters, but we didn't really have any brothers and sisters. And we realize this is good. And God used that. God used not preaching from a stage, but friendships. He used going over to somebody's house a couple of nights a week and hanging out, not organized by the church. He used riding mountain bikes in Palo Canyon every Saturday for two years to heal brokenness. There was not a whole lot of Bible studying. There wasn't. There was just community, common unity. We were following Jesus together. And so God did a incredible work in our heart, and it was a season that we got healthy. And there would have been, listen, there would have been no way in 2010. I mean, we kind of had some thoughts. Maybe we could start a church, but we were like so unhealthy. Maybe we could take over a church. God called us to pastor. Maybe we were supposed to take over a church. No way. We weren't healthy. But God used this thing called family, a spiritual family, to get us healthy. And it wasn't, listen, it wasn't a program that we went through. It was just being around people that we had never had before. I'm so grateful for it. We were, 2012, two years later, we're there. We thought, we'll be here for five years. We're so healthy. Decided to have more children. We thought we were done because life was just hard. And so in 2012, we really felt God calling us to the Metroplex. We're like, man, can't get can't shake it. And so we had a vacation planned in June of 2012. Ended up becoming a house hunting trip. We had all kinds of crazy miracles happen. Y'all have heard me talk a lot about them. It, just all kinds of crazy things that God was like, yes, 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 yes. And then we move out here and we're homeless for two months. <laughs> we're really homeless. We were living in, you know, hotels, not, uh, you know, hotels that were used for other things. Okay. <laughs> so we're here. We're, we're on this house hunting trip looking for a house. And we, we were talking. We had friends, and they said, hey, you should meet this pastor. So we met this pastor, and the whole thing, we were talking about it. We said, you know what? We really feel like God's calling us to plant a church. We wish he wasn't. We wish he'd just give us a church, you know, that's already there. Maybe some guy's getting retired or something. 
So please, Lord, can you make it easy? Worried about money, all this kind of stuff. So we come out here, we're hunting. This is June. And we have two meetings set up. One was a, a client that I had set up. Wasn't even supposed to meet the pastor. And so Leslie and I, we'd had this conversation 50 times. Let's just start off in our living room together, share a meal together, and minister to needs. No big deal. That's what our Overflow Church is going to look like. That's what we thought. So this is the way we'll start. Just low-key, you know, not trying to have any big, <laughs> not do anything too big so we're not too disappointed, right? Just in our house, hanging out. So when we look for a house, we look for a house where we can accommodate that. We're still in that house. And we met a pastor up in Grapevine. And he said, you know, if you're going to start a church, you should start in your living room, share a meal together, minister to one another's needs. And Leslie and I are like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. <laughs> I meet a pastor on this same trip. I'm talking within, within 24 hours. We need to meet another pastor. And he says, Hey, I wasn't even supposed to meet the guy. I was working for his youth guy. And he's like, come meet my pastor. I meet his pastor. And he's like, what are y'all doing on here? I was like, well, we're kind of, you know, you're a pastor. I don't really want to tell you. You know, we're going to plant a church. <laughs> That's awesome. If I was going to plant a church today, this is like a dynamic guy. If I was going to plant a church today, I'd start in my living room, share a meal together, and minister to others, one another's needs. And we're like, okay, Lord, we think you're on to something. <laughs> So we get in the car, we house hunt, and it's really hard, just like it is now, those of you that hunted houses, especially when you live in another city, and we're driving back to Amarillo to pack up our house and move out here. We don't even have a house yet, but our house had sold, so we had to get everything out. And we're driving, and Leslie opens up an email from one of the staff members at the church we were working with. And she said, Leslie, I wanted to tell you about a dream that I had. She said, you guys were in your house, and you had all these tables set up, and people were eating, and you were just ministering to them. And we're like, man, this is definitely what God calls us to. And we didn't realize it at the moment. I mean, I still had in my mind what overflow would look like, you know, look like every other church you see on Facebook. That's really what I thought. You know, big stage, big lights, you know, thousands of people showing up for your launch, you know explosion overnight, you know. They're going to hear me preach and they're going to come back. They're going to invite all their friends. It's going to explode. We'll be global in two years. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, that was like my ambition. But what we learned is that God was calling us to something different. God was calling us to this thing different than what we were thinking called family. Beloved, would you get this? That God has called you to family. It's way, way bigger than someone sharing your podcast. I mean, it's, it's way more. What, we, what I've found is that having family and having people in my living room and crying at the table or crying when they just had a miscarriage, that's way more powerful than going and preaching at some church and somebody knowing my name. Like, it's, it's been way more fulfilling. And I had no idea because I thought that's what God had called me to. Check this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
You're part of God's family. <laughs> Would you get this? God, the creator of the universe, you get to call him Papa. You get to call him Abba. You get to call him Father. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you're supposed to pray. Our Father. Notice he didn't say, my Father. And we're going to do a series after this series on the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the Disciples' Prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do a series on that. And Jesus told us to pray that way. When you talk to God, you talk to him like he's your dad. Because that's who he is. And he's our dad. He's not just my dad. I have a long time with my dad. But he's our dad. We have a common dad. This is what makes us family. You know, it's interesting when we read the scriptures. In America, we read the scriptures and we think that's my verse. Right? You got, a, you got that verse you got, right? The Christian bookstore is on your fridge. Right? That's my life verse. Did you know that two-thirds of the New Testament wasn't written to individuals? It was written to communities of people that gathered together. That's how it was written. Check it out what, what it says in Acts, what they did. All the believers, all of them, devoted. How many of them? All of them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? I'm not an apostle, but, but we gather around the same thing that those apostles were teaching. And to fellowship. That's a koinia. Koinia is the sharing of life, the mingling of life, the just doing life together. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing of meals. Come on, including the Lord's Supper. Yes, yes, the Lord's Supper. But it wasn't always the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it was brisket. Shaba. Come on. Here we go. Sometimes it was water burger. I mean, they just picked it up and they're like, come on, let's go. Let's do this. No, of course not. And to prayer. Oh, we miss that one sometimes. I just want to hang out. I don't really like to pray thing. Let's just hang out. And then it says this. Because they were devoted to these things, look, look what happened. A deep sense of awe came over them all. I'm reminded. I'm just going to drop names. I don't care. We got a, about five years ago, we got a text from Monica Baker. Leslie and I are sitting in our bed. And she texts us, you know, those group texts, my favorite. And she says, they were going through a rough season. They just said, she said, you know, everybody, all these church planners are saying welcome home. She said, but when I came to Overflow Church, she said, I really felt at home. I really felt welcomed. And Leslie and I just sat up in bed and we were just, our eyes were moist. We just thought, man, we never dreamed that this is what our church would look like. That people would come and they would feel welcome, like they would, they would actually be family. They weren't just coming to an event. They weren't just, they weren't just gathering around the word. They were family. You remember that? And you know what I sensed that day? I sensed that awe that they experienced. Just that sense of awe came over. Leslie and I sitting in our bed just, you know. Wow. Look what God has done. Now listen. I'm saying this as the pastor, like, and, and, and our people are benefiting this. I, I mean, I'm experiencing this as a pastor, and my expectations, I can promise you, my expectations on Sunday are way higher than anybody else's. The staff are going, yeah, we know, right? 
And it says this, they performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I'm concerned maybe that the reason why we don't see more signs and wonders is because we're not living like family and we're living like individuals. And you look where there's miracles all over the earth, they're usually not in like Western culture because Western culture is very individualistic. It's very isolated. You, you, you go to a church in Africa, they're experiencing miracles every week. And guess what they act like? Family. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. So this journey of, of planning a church has been different, but it's been fulfilling in ways that I never thought it would fulfill. I remember our first Easter, 2012. We'd moved to Sunday mornings. We're a, about a year and a half into our church plan. 2000, I'll say 2012, it's 2014. It's Easter. It started raining that day. It rained for six weeks. We had we were launching our church our Sunday mornings. It all, yeah, it only rained on Sundays for six weeks. So we're thinking, this is when it's going to happen. I mean, that is just, this is going to be the moment. This is the momentum. You know, we're in this little building over here on Pioneer, like half the size of this room. And it's like eight people are there. Something like that. It was a little better than that. Pastor Elon was there. Some of the other staff were there. Nobody else stuck around. <laughs> I don't know. Some of y'all might have been there. They moved on. So, we, you know, we did the Easter thing. I'm all fired up. It's Easter. You know, it's still good. And I, I remember going and I sat in my car. So disappointed. And I remember scrolling through Instagram and seeing these celebrations of churches on Instagram. 500 souls saved. 400, you know, guests. Whatever. I'm just scrolling. And I'm so annoyed. I'm so annoyed. I'm not celebrating what God's doing. And I'm weeping. I'm like, Lord, why not here? Why not here? And something, an ambition in me died that day. An ambition for numbers died. But you know what was awakened? An ambition for names. Because at Overflow Church, it's not about a number. It's about a name. And people will say, well, every number has a name. I'm like, do you know those 400 names? And I'm not, listen, I'm not criticizing those churches. Thank God for them. Thank God for what big churches are doing. But it's just not what God called us to. Our God has called us to family, and families grow slow. I mean, it takes nine months to have a baby. That's a long time, especially like when you're in your 20s. Nine months is a long time. I mean, when you, you know, I'm just telling you, once you get like my age, once you're like mid-40s, I mean, mid-30s, <laughs> nine months is like, whoa, oh my God. Wasn't that like last week? I mean, it just really does feel that way. See, we're building a family, not a crowd. And that takes time. And I'm just learning still on a weekly basis that that's the reality. So family, we're following Jesus together. So Paul is speaking to one of his families. 
church in Galatia. He just finishes talking about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. We love all those verses. And I, I want you to see where he starts closing up and he says this, brothers and sisters. Some translations say, beloved siblings, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. Come on. Restore that person gently. Not a whole lot of that happening, the restoring or the gentle part. But watch yourselves. Careful. Or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ. Right? Loving one another. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Oh, whoops. I deserve. Each one should test their own actions. Was the last time you've tested your own actions? I know my intentions. Do you? Test your own actions. For they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. So make sure that you test your actions. For each one should carry their own load. Well, hold up. Are we carrying our own load or are we carrying others' loads? Yes. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Come on. Do not be deceived. We love this verse, right? Do not be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I would also say this. A man reaps where he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh he will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary. (laughs) Oh, man, I've been there. Weary grows. I mean, you know that weary grows. It don't happen. It grows. Weary grows. Let us not become weary. In some translations, use that word. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if, 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 if we don't give up. You got to not give up to reap. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially, especially, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we're really good in the kingdom about being good to sinners, being good to lost people, being good to hurting people. But you know where we really stink at? You stink. Where you been? You know where we're terrible? We're terrible about doing good to those that are part of our family. And there's this priority. Remember when Jesus said, they will know you're my my disciples by your love for one another? He didn't say that they would know. They're not going to know we're Christians because of our love for the world, but for our love for one another. And so why don't Christians see, why don't outsiders look at Christians as loving, as being loving people? Because we don't love our own. We blam blast them on social media. We argue with them. We talk about preachers all the time, try to correct everybody's daughter. We don't love one another. We don't do family well. But here at Overflow Church, we follow Jesus together. So what does that look like? Well, number one, it means general restoration. We're just going to kind of break this down, all right? A little expository teaching for you. General restoration. This is what he says, if anyone is caught in sin. Now, this doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you got busted. Now, being, getting busted when you're sinning is a good thing. If you've been busted and you're like, oh, now I can be real about it. Everybody knows. That's a great thing to get busted. It's the grace of God most of the time that you got busted. I know for me, that's been the grace of God. 
But really when he's talking about caught in sin here, he's talking about those that have been overcome by sin. Those are kind of like got caught in a trap of sin. And he says this is that we should, those that live by the Spirit, those that are family, we should restore them gently. 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 How many know that restoration requires confrontation? Right? We call that accountability. And there's this, like, movement now that people don't like the word accountability because nobody likes to be called out on their sin. Nobody does. I don't either. But it's always the grace of God, especially if it's done in a graceful way. But sometimes even when it's not, at least I'm exposed. At least I can be real about my struggle now. And hopefully you're trying to get out of sin, not getting out of getting caught for your sin. Hopefully you're really trying to honor the Lord and live that way. Um, Because if we're following Jesus together, then holiness is a big deal. (laughs) I mean, we're following Jesus, the only pure person that's ever lived. The only 100% holy person that's ever lived is Jesus Christ. And so if we're chasing him, if we're pursuing him, if we're following Jesus together, then holiness is a big deal. I know you don't like the word holiness, but it is a big deal because God's holy, be holy. Yeah, we need to follow Jesus. We need to live pure lives. So we live holy together. So when we get together, we're not sinning. We're not gossiping. I mean, we could talk about, you know, all the wild party and stuff, but we don't get together and gossip because gossip is sin. We don't get together and slander because slandering is sin. Also, we don't get offended when we're confronted because you're my sibling and we're in this together. And sometimes you can see around corners that I can't see around And so I need you to say, listen, in a loving way, in a tender way, go, Josh, are are you sure about that? And I don't get offended. Well, we jamming today. Listen, if you get offended easy, we can't grow together. That's the way it is. If you rot me off every time that I bring up something and step on your toes a little bit, and you know how loving I am, then the problem isn't with me. The problem is that you're so consumed with making rights for your issues. Let me say this. Sin is when you do something or someone wrong. (laughs) Because most of the time we think about sin, we think in the context of something that I did wrong. But when you do somebody wrong, you've sinned. And let me say this. Personal conversations are greater than public call-outs. And so we're into this thing on social media where we call everybody out publicly. People get on, people get on Facebook to complain about somebody at church indirectly. Let me tell you another thing that's, that's not general restoration, sarcasm. We're going to talk about honor next week. You need to be here for that. Because what we do is to make a point, we're sarcastic, we're passive-aggressive, and then we go, well, I didn't mean that. I was just being playful. No, really, you were prodding playing. So sarcastic and passive-aggressive pointing doesn't really work. See, the point of accountability is restoration, not condemnation. And so what we have is we have a lot of people like calling out sin, condemning sin, but not really with the heart to restore. Listen, if your intention of calling out sin isn't to restore somebody where they need to be with the Lord, then keep your mouth shut. And if you don't have a relationship with that person, guess what? It does no good. Because confrontation without relationship always equals rebellion. Always. But if you want restoration, then you need to have a relationship. And it requires lots of grace 
from both sides, the way that you confront and the way that you're being confronted. Can we just be people of grace, not just the way that we give, but in the way that we receive things? Can I just not be so easily offended and be a little bit more gracious in the way that I receive things? And this is what he says, but watch yourself. Lest you may also be tempted. Because listen, when you are confronted with your, with your issues, you will be tempted to react in anger. You will be tempted to get offended. You will, you will be tempted to act rude. These will all be the temptations. So you need grace on both sides. The grace to be open and honest. And let me just say this real quick about vulnerability. I've been, I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, if we don't allow people in our lives to be vulnerable, like, we, like every time they're like, man, I'm just really struggling. Well, you shouldn't do that. If we don't allow people to be vulnerable, then we force them to be fake. If you don't let people be real, they're always going to be fake. And that's where I was in 2010. Because I didn't have anybody in my life that I could be real with. And so when I was struggling with stuff, if I would have told them, I would have got condemned, not restored. And I needed someone to love me. I needed someone to gently restore me. But because I wasn't getting that type of feedback, there was no way I was going to be open about it. But family, you can take your shoes off. But leave your socks on. <laughs> That's just because I got a weird thing. Okay. I guess you can take them off, but just stay six feet, eight, eight feet. All right, we need to hurry. It could be a misstep or it could be a misunderstanding. So make sure you're grace on both sides. Second thing is this, carry one another's burdens. Carry burdens. That's what family does. We carry burdens, right? Judah empties the dishwasher mostly, right? He carries a burden. He carries a burden of the house. He's a son. He's part of the family, right? He don't just play Xbox. He does, though, and he gives facts, and those are things that we don't have to research. <laughs> Even the facts we don't care to know. Remember, remember Jesus said that he carries heavy burdens? Come to me, all your... We should be the same. If we're following Jesus together, then we should also say, come on, bring your burdens, Instead of going, oh, they just unloaded on me. <laughs> I've been there. Oh, pastor, I hate to unload on you. <laughs> me too. Go ahead. <laughs> right? Carry each other's burdens in this way. You fulfill the law of Christ. And let me say this. If you're burdened and nobody knows about your burden, ask for help. Don't just get on Facebook, I'm just so lonely and so hurting. I wish somebody would reach out to me. You don't top that last part. We have a, we have a whole society that does this. They whine wanting somebody, wanting attention. Listen, that doesn't get the kind of attention you need. That gets, what that does is people don't want to be around you if all you ever do is whine. No, if all you ever do is complain, because complaining is draining. And so we don't want it, we don't want that, but we do want to help carry your burden. And so just stop the complaining and have a conversation and say, listen, man, I'm just really struggling with looking at pornography. I'm just really struggling with the way my dad treated me. I'm just really struggling because I don't know my dad. I'm just really struggling. And you're carrying this weight. Talk to somebody. Ask for help. We're not mind readers. You know, as a pastor, I don't know everything. Like, I mean, I've got discernment, but not like, Sometimes you deceive me Whoa. by hiding so well. Uh, vulnerability. Vulnerability is not 
verbal vomit, by the way. It's not complaining. It's not, I'm just going to vent. Vent is like going outside and going, ah! doesn't do no good. It just makes your heart harder. But if you can sit across the table from somebody and say, listen, my heart, and you can weep, oh man, that's when the healing begins. So, we've had this thing. I, I know I didn't get this. We, we got this text, I think it was this week. It was Bree Hargrove. She's not here today. And, uh, you know, this season's been crazy, you know, as a pastor. And it's been hard. And, you know, we have this metric called numbers that it's easy for us to get distracted and forget that it's about names. And and uh, it's difficult. And just being real honest, like it's, it's hard when you have the most momentum you've ever had as a church and then a pan- pandemic hits and you don't see people for a year. And it's not because it's just about numbers, but because you just really miss people. So it's been really hard. But we just, we keep going. We're good. We're not depressed about it, but we're, you know, it's, it's tough. And so Leslie and I are at Target. And she, we, we get a group message. Love them. And uh, it's Brie. And so we're trying to listen to it. Walking through. She's like, we'll just wait till we get in the car. So we get in the car and we're driving home. It was just last Monday, I think it was. And Brie says, hey, I know it's been really hard for you guys, like with numbers and church. And, and she's like, but I was in service the other day. And, and she said, something just happened to me. Like I just had this, this check. She said, people are showing up at church with casserole dishes. And that just tells me that they were in one another's house that week and they took some leftovers home. She said, I had a, somebody came over to my house and picked up some socks because their kids forgot the socks at their house. And she said, you know, she's like, I'm not even talking about community group or church. She's like, but we're in one another's homes and we're, we have the group FaceTimes and the group text messages and we've got this thread called life that lives through us and it's not programmed. CNR just weeping, you know, a little bit, you know, trying to hold it together. And so yesterday, I was because I, I told Bree, I was like, I'm going to share that on Sunday. And so yesterday, I'm sitting there and I'm looking over my notes and preparing for this morning. And, and it's like 6:30 in the morning, and I decided to listen to it. I'm just weeping, and I'm like, What is this? You know what it is? It's gathering in a living room, sharing a meal together ministering to one another's needs. It's not programmed. It's just happening. And I love it. I'm, I applaud you, Overflow Church, for that. And some of you are saying, man, I want that community. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you in that, too. And I, I know I need to quickly get on here. But listen, we see in part. And what was seen was in part. I thought it was my living room. No, it was your living room. Come on. It was your table. It's your ministry. Another thing that he talks about here is personal responsibility. Each one should carry their own load. So he says, carry one another's burdens, but also carry your own. In other words, do your part. See, we live in a culture that, this, that, that wants to hold everybody else accountable for my actions, right? No personal responsibility. Personal responsibility means that that you are not dependent upon others. That you don't see your relationship as I'm needy, 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 needy. You see your relationship as I'm a contributor to those around me. It doesn't mean that you won't need people from time to time because you will. But what I've found is the less dependent I am upon others, the more fulfilled I am. Because I'm more fulfilled in Christ. And I have more to give people. And listen, 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 listen. Giving. 
It is in every aspect. We, we talk about money and gifts and all this. Giving time, giving counsel, giving love is way better than receiving it. But we get so personal focused. Listen, be personally responsible. We have to take it personally to take care of other members of our family. You know what I want to take personally? Taking care of you. I take that personal. It's, it's irresponsible. Listen, it is irresponsible to only look out for you. That's irresponsible. Jesus took responsibility for others, and we're following Jesus together. Number four, stay faithful and see fruitful. We talk about this a lot. Stay faithful and see fruitful. I'm going to rush through this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And so one of the awesome things about having a tight-knit community is all the things that we've talked about. One of the difficult things is sometimes people come in, they feel welcomed, but they don't feel integrated. But I was, I was sharing with our team this morning that it's kind of like adoption. If someone adopted you when you were eight years old, you would be a part of that family immediately. You would be accepted in. You're in. You've got the last name. It, you've got access. But it would take a while for you to be integrated. And sometimes what I see is I see people coming into the family and they don't give it any time. They don't give it any time to get integrated. And sometimes that's a failure on our part as a family. Sometimes it's a failure on people's part because they want it to happen faster. But listen, if this thing is organic and it's growing God's way, I think slow growth is healthy growth. And so my, my admonishment to you is that, and that is just stay faithful. Because as the scriptures just say, don't become weary in doing good. And it's interesting, this is in the context of community. Don't get weary of doing good. Because in the right time, you're going to reap a harvest. And then guess what? When you need the casserole dish returned, it's going to be returned. Stay faithful. The ground we work is the ground we eat from. Number five is this, and we're closing. Prioritize the family of faith. The kingdom is your priority, especially those, that verse right there where we ended, especially those in the family of faith. I let me let me let me be real honest with you. Some of the most jaded Christians that I meet are not local church people. They're the evangelist, right? They're like, I'm not going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go feed the homeless. Cuz that's who God loves. That's for my priority. Does that need to be a priority? Absolutely. But I would say this, go to church on Sunday. And then I see these people struggle with bitterness, and what they do is they go, they're not doing what I'm doing. I was like, well, because they're not your family. Because you're not treating them like family. But if you would get a part of a, be a part of a family and then have that ambition and have that drive and take your family with you, you would get a lot more done in a lot less time. And you wouldn't be bitter. I'm just saying. I'm not just saying this it's real so three things quick things we're done somebody's gonna come up and play that's what i'm done means i'm closing up they never get the cue they're like oh, that's my cue close it up <laughs> all right get the music going <laughs> number one is this come in come into the family we've been working how, how do you come in how do you come into the family 
You come into the family by believing and receiving Jesus. Those that who believe in him, those that receive him, he gives them the right, the authority to become sons of God, part of the family. Number two is jump in. Just jump in. Get into a group. Well, groups are really hard for me. Make it a priority. Don't just get into a group. Go to lunch. You say, man, I, I want to be part of the family. Then today, go to somebody that you're, you think, I think they're awesome. They seem cool. Go to them and say, do you have lunch plans? I'm not going to go tell you who to go lunch with. I might tell them later, man, hey, you should ask that person to go to lunch. And they go, okay, I'll do that sometime. Hey, how did that lunch go? Oh, do it. Do it. It's because that's not organic. So that's your assignment today. Go to lunch with somebody. Jump in. And number three is show up and sew up. <laughs> it's actually buy-in. It's just buy-in. Show up. Get your hands dirty. Serve. You know, you know where most community and church is built? Not, not sitting in the chairs. It's working in the parking lot. It's hanging out. It's making coffee. It's working with kids. That's where community is built. And so the people that, that come and they're here for a while and they go, I just never could get in. I'm like, well, you never came to a group. You never started serving. I'm like, we did everything we could. I'm, I'm glad you came. We love you. We wish you would have done those things, but you didn't get integrated into the family. You didn't jump in. You didn't sow. You wanted to reap, but you weren't willing to sow. You got to sow up. Buy in. Get your hands dirty. Work the ground with us. This is how families built.